Well, good morning. I'm Jonathan. If I didn't get to meet you, um, I would love to see you. Um, shake your hand. Say hi. Um, that's it. That's the sermon. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, right? Because we we think of the resurrection of Jesus as a historical event. And often we capture it in our minds just like that, just like any other date or time stamp of things, right? Like if you either liked history class or you didn't like history class, right? Like it's just one of those pieces of information that you're like, yeah, that, that happened. And so when people say, do you believe in Jesus? You're like, well, yeah, I mean, I heard that Archduke Ferdinand, uh, the, his assassination is what started World War I. And I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Like there's just these, right? Am I right on that? Okay, good. I look at my wife, right? <laughs> so, right, they're just these like facts of information. But that's not God's design for the resurrection. That's not the point of it. And in fact, if, if that's where for you, if that's where the resurrection sits in your mind, my challenge to you this morning is to see it in the way that God intended it to be. You see, there's significance in Jesus' resurrection. There's significance to it. It's not God just, just gloating that he can do whatever he wants, because he can. <laughs> it's not that. It's that there's, there's an actual, real significance for our lives here, now, today, what you do this afternoon, how you live, what, what your life looks like, and your eternity. And so that's what we're going to be diving through today. And we're going to, here's the thing, I don't have an Easter message, okay? <laughs> I don't. I, like, we are here on a Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, because we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday morning. Like, that's why we meet on Sundays. And, and so I, we're going through Romans, <laughs> and we're continuing to go through Romans. And so we've been going through Romans chapters 1 through 5, and this morning we're on Romans chapter 6. And if you have a Bible, you can get it out. Um, there's Bibles scattered around, um, or you can open up your phone and download a Bible app, or you can just Google search. Romans will be in the English Standard Version is what I'll be reading from. Um, but what we're going to see in Romans chapter 6 is Paul is going to be talking about the resurrection. He's talking about it, because guess what all of this talks about? God conquering Satan, sin, and death. And the plan to rescue us. That's what it is. That's the, from, from front to back. Now there's, there's some stuff in there that, that is difficult to understand and hard to figure out. Like the Leviticus and all the rules and the laws. And how does that fit into that? But it does. It does very much fit into that. And so this morning, I'm, I have to talk a little bit about the actual account of the resurrection. Or else I, I'd, probably, I'd probably get in trouble maybe. I don't know. But, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 25 here real quick. And this is after the resurrection. Uh, so Luke chapter 24, I said 25, but Luke chapter 24, verse 44. This is after Jesus rose from the grave and he presents himself to the disciples and says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms all of this, right, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We too are witnesses of these things. It wasn't just the disciples who saw this happen, right? Here's the account. We know this to be true. So then what does that mean for our lives? Not just what's the significance of Jesus' resurrection, but what are the implications? If you thought about this, what are the implications? Does it matter for you? Does it matter for us? Do we think about the weight of Jesus' resurrection, or do we just relegate it to this historical fact that we just kind of floats around in, in the back of our minds? So what we've done so far is we've walked through Romans. In the beginning of Romans, I'll just give you a kind of a, we're going to kind of spin our way up to Romans chapter 6. So Romans chapter 1 through 3, Paul explains to us the depravity, our rebellion against God. He explains to us that, that there's nothing, like, like we do the things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we want to do. We all know this and we all recognize that we live for our own glory. We pursue selfish things we pursue things that we try to increase the our status and our place in life we we try to become more comfortable we feed our stomachs we spend 99 percent of our time doing those things do we not and god is sitting here going why do you think i created you and so there's there's a balance here there's a there's a a, a fundamental understanding of who we are in light of who God is and what he has accomplished for us. And so this is what Paul lays out in the first three chapters of Romans. He goes, you are in desperate need because the problem is your heart. You can't change who you are. You can't. I've said this before. You can't change how you feel about things. You're like, I feel this way. Okay. So stop feeling that way. Well, I, I can't. That's how I feel. But God does change our hearts and if you're a follower of christ in here he has changed your heart he's he's created in you and given you a new heart is how the word describes it that that you now want the things that god wants and you hate the things that god hates your affections are aligned you're reconciled and this is what he's talking about in romans chapters one through three and then in four through six paul outlines how this happened and so He talks about how Christ, Jesus, came, lived a perfect life, gave us his righteousness, gave it to us. Like, you're unrighteous, I'm unrighteous. We're all totally jacked up. And God goes, here, I'm I'm making you righteous. I'm going to count you as righteous. That's it. And not only that, I'm going to count your sins, your rebellion, on Jesus. And he's going to absorb the wrath of God. I know we don't like that word. But that's the reality. God is a God of love, but God is a God of justice. So our sins can't go unpunished. He must preserve justice. He can't just say, yeah, not a big deal. We're just going to wipe that one under the rug. No, he preserves justice and he demonstrates his love. And he does all of this through who? Jesus. And so that's why we say, 
that it's through Jesus, believing in Jesus. We don't just use these words. It's not even us talking about the historical facts of the resurrection. It's that what did that great exchange look like? That we took the righteousness of Christ, that he gave us his righteousness, and he took on our sin. And it's the great exchange. And that, that's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we trust in and hope in. But that's just the first part of it. That's like, that's what justified us. That's what changed our relationship with God. There is more to this, and this is what we're going to get into this morning. The next step to that is the implications of what that then means for our lives. And what we're going to see is that God grants us a new life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your son. God, I pray that this morning, that as we open up your word, that you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to see the way you see, open our ears, God, if there's, if there's somebody here that's just closed off to you, that's just here out of obligation, I just pray, Father, that, that you would reveal yourself. That you would help each one of us see you for who you are. And see us, see ourselves the way that you intend us to be. And the power that you give us. God, would you show us your grace this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first thing that he does, the, the, the implications of this, is that we have a new attitude towards sin. Okay, so if you struggle with the word sin, just read Romans chapters 1 through 3, okay? I'm not trying to go back to that, but, but that rebellion towards God, our pursuit of our own desires, our, we're, the way we, we relegate God, and we're like, yeah, take the back seat, I, I got this, I gotta, I'm living my life, I'll get to you in a bit. Like, all of that is sin. And so what he does here is he says that we have a new attitude towards sin. We're going to back up just a little bit into Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 18 and kind of get a running start into chapter 6. Listen to what he describes in Romans chapter 5, verse 18. He says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. He's talking about Adam. He's talking about Adam's sin in the garden, that that, that trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness... Jesus leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see this contrast that Paul is presenting here. He's going, like, this is how bad it was, and this is what Christ has done. He says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. How the law increase our sin? This is kind of funny, right? Because, like, we know this to be true because when somebody says, hey, here's a rule, you're not allowed to do this, we typically respond, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Isn't that, <laughs> we are just, I was, uh, I was just up at uh, the Whitewater uh, Center up in uh, Charlotte, and they've got rules and stuff, and it's like, 
are some pretty good rules. <laughs> I would like to break each one of those because I think it would be more fun <laughs> to break each one of them, right? And yet, that's, but that's the point, right? When somebody says, when your kids, when your parents say, don't do this, you're like, huh? Maybe I should, right? Don't, but I'm just saying. So that's why, we, that's why he says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Why did God want the trespass to increase? Because he wanted us to see just how sinful we were, how much we needed him. That's the point. Not, not that we turn to shame and guilt and all those things. That's not the point. The point is that we go, I don't know how to solve my predicament. I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do here. And he says, but where sin increased, what? Grace abounded all the more. Lots of sin, lots of grace. And what's grace? Undeserved merit. Really, really dirty? Christ gives you a lot of grace. He heals you. He takes away all those sins. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, I'm not going to talk about the implication that gets us to eternal life a whole lot today. Although it's there, and it's really important because it's eternal, okay? So don't, don't hear me as like not talking about that, as like I don't care about that. That's just, just not where Paul's at in Romans chapter 6, okay? So come back, and we'll, <laughs> we're going to continue to get there. But, but what he's going to be talking about here is not just that we have eternal life. Right, that, that we're going to dwell with God. And I know that sounds like to say just before that is, is significantly minimizing to it. But that he has a, ch- a plan to change our life now. Right now. Here and now. Like changes how we live, how we think, how we interpret our circumstances, how we feel about things. And so, so here's where Paul jumps in in Romans chapter 6. Okay? So he's, he's laid this out. One continuous thought. Paul's, a, Paul's an arguer, and he's very logical about how he's systematically walking through this. And he says, if, if that's what sin does, and a lot of sin causes a lot of grace, read Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? Well, if God gets glorified, the more sinful I am, therefore, let's have some fun. Look at what he says in 6.2. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Died to sin. I want want that, that to stick in your mind. Because I still sin. I'm just going to jump out on a limb here. I think you all still sin. Christians, not Christians, followers of Christ, right? Never miss a Sunday, read your Bible every morning, pray all the time, missionary. You still sin, right? Everybody sins. Never been to church ever, you sin. Everybody sins. So then what does it mean when Paul says you've died to sin? What could that possibly mean? Because I'm like, not only that, but I've been baptized. And before I got baptized, I was a sinner. And when I came up out of the water, I still sinned. So I'm not exactly sure what Paul means by this. And this is where he establishes first that we have been united with Jesus. We've been united with him. 
That's how we died to sin, because Jesus died. And so we died with him. Let me, I'm going to jump through a few things, and we're going to walk through this. But Romans chapter 6, verse 3, listen to what he says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're getting ready to do baptisms here in a little bit. We've got a class next week. That's what baptism is. It's symbolic. We're, what are we doing? We're symbolizing that we are being buried with Christ, right? Like we are dying to our old life. And you can go read all through what that looks like and, and how that works as a symbol. And then verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him. If you have your Bibles open, underline that, with him. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That's it. Christ died, and we're with him. We got our floaties. We jumped in the pool, okay? Here we are, right? Like, we are with Jesus, I'm not going to be able to do enough service to that statement here this morning. But I would encourage you to go look and research and, and discover what God's word says about us being united with Christ. This is not like we're on the same team, hurrah, we're just going in the same direction. It's not what that is. It's profound. It's significant. It's, it's an actual uniting with Jesus. I'm going to jump through a few scriptures here. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time if you want to. Just jot them down, and you can go back through them later if you'd like. But we're going to talk about what this uniting looks like because this is fundamental. And obviously, I think you're probably tracking with me, but if we've been united with Jesus in his death and burial, guess what? We're united with him in his resurrection. And so his resurrection has implications for our lives. So listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. That's united. That's, that's one thing, right? That's one root structure that's feeding the vine and the branches. You guys with me on this? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do whatever you want. You can do nothing. Nothing. Is that hyperbole? Is Jesus exaggerating here? I also don't have enough time to go through this, but that word nothing means that from God's perspective, anything that you're doing that is not because you're tied in to Christ is worthless. It's worthless. It's nothing. God sees it as nothing. It's a waste of time. Why do we pray before we eat? We're giving thanks. Even our eating. Do we pray before we go to bed? We're praying about our sleeping, right? Like, like we desire, we ought to be desiring that, that everything that we're doing is tied in to the vine. And that's not an exaggeration. There should be no aspect of our lives where we go, well, yeah, God's not really a part of that piece. Or I can't really reconcile, like, I need God to like kind of close the door here for a second because he can't really be a part of what I'm about to do. That's not how this works. Jesus says, you're a branch and I'm the vine and you're with me. And so there's implications to that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That word put on, super cool. It's like, it's like sinking into clothes. That's actually what it means. It's like that you're like settling into like, I don't know, maybe a soft chenille robe or something. I just, that just created some weird imagery, I'm sure. But right, like, like, but like that's it. It's like this sinking into this just comfortable, right? Like you have put on Christ. It's not that you're like running out the door and you grab your jacket. That's not it. It's that you're sinking into Christ. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. I also will not be able to <laughs> talk to this fully. God gives us his Holy Spirit. When I read that at the beginning uh, in Luke chapter 22, that's what he's talking about. Wait for the power that comes on high. That power is God's Holy Spirit. God gives us his spirit to dwell inside of us. If we're a follower of Christ and we place our trust in Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit gives us the ability to live life differently. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean we're not going to struggle and I'm going to get to all of that, okay? This isn't, this isn't like we're walking on the clouds, any, right? right? Like, like we're still, we still have sin, but the Holy Spirit produces in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, right? Like produces these things. This isn't you. <laughs> it's not me. Don't, don't think that way. That's not it. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And so this is what, this is the one spirit, right? The, the same spirit that's part of the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit dwells within us. So we're one spirit with God. Now turn over to Colossians 3.3. 3. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden. Like we're so connected. We're so united with Jesus that this is how God sees our relationship. That we're like hidden with Jesus with God. Like in this, in this very weird, like very connected sense. This is not Jesus is the quarterback and I'm on the, the front line. This isn't like we're just on the same team and we're kind of, we've got the same prerogatives and we're going in the same direction. It's not that. It's, it is a fundamental union. And then Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. This is what we just sang about. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's hear that. It's no longer I who live. We're dead. It's Christ that lives in us. It's Jesus that lives in us. This is that unity, right? And it's Jesus. It's this being united to Jesus that changes our lives. All right, so let me go back now. So you guys with me here? We're united with Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches, okay? That's, that's the foundation that Paul's operating off. Now go back to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's walk. That's now. This is an eternity that, that Paul's talking about here. That is true, and we'll get there in, in a Sunday or two from now. But that's not what he's talking about right now. Jesus' resurrection means that you have a new life. I have a new life. We have an old life. It's dead. It died. We've got a new life now. Well, how in the world does this new life, what does this new life look like? Look at what he says in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. That, that's the key, and we're going to spend a little time on that. We are no longer enslaved to sin. I'll put in the disclaimer right now. That does not mean we don't struggle with sin. Okay? We are no longer enslaved to sin. We're going to break that all down here in a bit. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Do these sound like they're describing our lives? Because it doesn't feel like it describes my life. <laughs> right? I mean, when I read these, and I'm like, i got to preach this. How do I preach that we're set free from sin and we're not enslaved to sin? And I just sinned. <laughs> and I'm going to sin again, and I know I'm going to. How do we understand this? Verse 8, now if we, verse 8 yet, sorry, not yet, sorry. So we're united with Christ. He dies, sin dies. We're no longer enslaved to it. It doesn't have dominion over us. What's the effect of sin? What's, what's it, what does it create? It creates death, right? Like, I know we all just live life, and we're like, we live, we die. People die. It kind of just becomes a thing, and we're just kind of operating, and people are dying. And we kind of forget that, like, the reason people are dying is because of sin. You guys with me on this? we got to back up a little bit. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is, this is before sin. There's work before sin. It was just... It was fun work, I guess. So his job was to work and keep the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you will surely what? Die. Adam would have lived forever. Eve would have lived forever. Everything would have been different. And we don't need to go down that rabbit trail. But death is the consequence of sin. So every time you hear of something or somebody die, that's sin. Sin caused that to happen. Rebellion against God caused that to happen. So when, when Paul says that we're united with Christ, 
and we die and we rise again to a new life, he's saying that we have conquered sin. We have conquered the effects of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We don't have to worry about death. We're still going to die, but we don't have to worry about it. Again, that's a, that's, a further, that's a further discussion on when we start talking about eternity. So now go back, Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. You, you're with me on that, right? It's not like he just beat it once, and then he's going to die again. Clearly, we know that's not true. It's 2,000 years later, right? It's one time. He's paid. Death no longer has dominion over him and us. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You guys, you guys tracking that, right? So we've got this, this old life that's dead and gone, and we've got this new life, and we now live to, for God, with God. We're united with him. It's totally different. Huge contrast. And then we go, but is there? <laughs> I feel like I'm just saying words here. Because anecdotally, we struggle with this. And that's why... We go, I believe in the fact of Jesus' resurrection because it's a nice little fact that I could just put over here. Okay, now let me go live my life, and I, I, I'm not exactly sure where that, where that resides or how I, how I handle that. You see, that's the problem. We don't see this contrast between our old life and our new life, even though Scripture talks about it over and over and over again. Go read Colossians. Like You can't read that and not hear what God wants for us. And it's not that we're becoming enslaved to God. It's that he's setting us free from sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin. It's, it's this amazing thing that happens right now. It's a blessing now. And this is what he's trying to communicate to us, and this is what God's saying. The resurrection of Jesus is for eternal life, for sure. He gave you his righteousness. He took on your sin, but it's so much more than that. Like right now, like Monday. Monday, you can have a new life. If you don't believe in Christ, if you've never placed your trust in Christ, like it's n there's not a process. The thief on the cross goes, yeah, I messed up, <laughs> right? And what does Jesus say to him? I'll see you in heaven tonight. What a beautiful thing. And this is what God promises to us. All right, so, so how does this, what does this look like? Your new life. Your, what should your new life look like? You're going to wake up early. You're going to read the Bible for two hours. You're going to pray for an hour. No. I mean, that wouldn't be a bad thing. So let me know when you crack the nut on that one. No, that's not it. Look, the very first thing is that there's no shame in sin. This one is huge, you guys. Huge. Because to the world, they hide their sin. Because they don't want people to think ill of them. Because they're about their kingdom. And frankly, we do the same, right? We hide our sin because I don't want anybody to know what I struggle with. Because then people are going to think that I'm not, you know, good. And you're not. <laughs> you're not good. We're not good. Look at what he says in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right, so those who were here last week, that word consider, it's the same word as count. It's the same word as imputation. It's the same word. Paul's using it over and over again. This is where, you know, as as you kind of go through this, like, it's a beautiful thing because just like God counted us righteous, we aren't, but God just counts us as righteous. And Jesus wasn't sinful, he just counted him as having our trespasses. So Paul says we should count ourselves, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Consider yourself a winner. (laughs) That's basically what he's saying. When sin crouches, you're like, I already won. In Christ... And so what's cool about that is we then get to boast about our sin because we're like, well, sin's powerless. It doesn't cause me to die. It's not, there's no threat to me as, as, on my own. I mean, there's, there's implications to sin, so don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not minimizing the impacts of sin. There, there's grievous impacts to sin. But what he's saying is there's no shame in it. In fact, if you look at Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is, this is Paul, who's been preaching, doing all sorts of things, traveling around, preaching the gospel, and God gave him a thorn in his side. And we don't know what that is, but he struggled with it. And listen to what he says in verse 9. But he said to me, God says this to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon Oh, church, we could figure out this one. If we could just boast in our weaknesses instead of boasting in our strengths. Because when we boast in our strengths, it's, it's the me show. Right? We're building our kingdoms. We want people to think well of us. But when we say, man, I, I really struggle with pride and contentment. I'm weak real but the power of god's grace is way more powerful than my sin see when i boast about my weaknesses when we boast about our weaknesses when we join paul in boasting about our weaknesses guess what happens to sin powerless guess what happens to sin when we hide it it has all sorts of power doesn't it we know this as kids kids you guys ever hide something from your parents Hopefully, you're sitting there struggling, knowing that you've got this secret that you haven't revealed yet. It eats away at you, right? Adults, same thing. That's the point. And so what Paul says is, there's no shame in sin. Like, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Like, like that's it. It's done. It's powerless. It's worthless. We don't have to worry about it. But that doesn't mean doesn't have impacts and so the next thing he says is you need to fight sin daily look at verse 12 let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions he says don't let it reign it's going to be there it's going to be there but don't let it reign 
What does that mean? It means we fight it. It means we look at the sin in our lives and we go, I hate it. And God goes, me too. Me too. And we struggle and we try to figure out how to, how to not give it its power. We, got it. we, we, we put people around us, right? God gives us the church. God gives us his word. God gives us the Holy Spirit to try to give us the power. But some of these things we're going to overcome and some of them we will spend our entire lives struggling with sin. But if you're not struggling with sin, that's the good news. Because that's the old way. And there's probably no better description of the old life than not struggling with sin. So if you're in here and you go, I don't really struggle with sin. I recommend you go to God and you repent. You go, show me that sin. I've shared this with you guys, you know, before, but, I mean, that, that, for, for me, like, I, I mean, God revealed my pride to me in a very, very specific way. And the thing that I prayed prior to that was, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, quite embarrassed to say this, but I, 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 my prayer before that was, God, I, I just kind of, I'm not sure that I've got any sin. And then he smacked me with the two by four. I mean, what, what, what better prayer of a prideful man than that? And so, and, and, and things came tumbling after that, right? But, but it's that struggle with sin that's good, it's healthy. Don't think it's a bad thing. It's not an indicator you're not saved. It's an indicator you are saved. You're with me on this. So when the world says, oh, well, it's a bunch of hypocrites, right? Like, they go out and they sin and they come into church. Like, well, we're not hypocrites. Yeah, we do. We just, we're just like everybody else. There's no, like, you know, like, righteousness that gets clothed on you when you walk through the door, right? It's not how that works. But we fight our sin daily. And then the last piece, we live with purpose. Look at what it says in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Brought from death to life. This is that unity with Christ. This is why Jesus' resurrection matters. This is the implications. We live with purpose. He says, don't present your members, like the parts of your body, like who you are as instruments as tools, as weapons for unrighteousness. Use your life, who you are, to pursue righteousness. This is, it's, it's an often misunderstood word in Christianese. Holiness does not mean you're a holy roller and you never do anything wrong or you make people think that you never do anything wrong. Not holiness. Holiness means you're set apart. Holiness means that you are, see yourself as for God's purposes. That you're set apart for holy purposes. You're set apart 
to pursue righteousness. That, that when we all, if we're a follower of Christ and we leave this room, like we want to proclaim the gospel. We want to see lives saved. We want to see God's kingdom built. I don't care what happens to my kingdom. I mean, I do, but that's my sin. And so we shouldn't care. And so when we make decisions in our lives, all the decisions we make in our lives every day, the big decisions, the little decisions, we should be thinking, how does this glorify God? How does this proclaim the gospel? Is there an opportunity for me to share the gospel in this? Or, or how do I do this best? How can I be an ambassador for Christ? And that's what he calls us to. Like, we step out into the world stage, we're not trying to look good. We're trying to point people to Christ. We're trying to point people to Jesus, going, Jesus, I'm united with Jesus. It's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit in my life. And you should know him too, because if you die with him, guess what? You're going to be raised with him. And so what does all this create in us? Imagine a life where there's no shame in sin, you fight sin daily, and you live with a purpose for God. That's set free from sin. That's no longer being enslaved to sin. And not only that, you have no risk of e eternal torment, right? Like, you have eternal life with God. What more could we want? Unite me. I want to be with Christ. And, and the requirement for that is, is nothing, really. It's, it's placing your faith in Christ. You don't have to go do something. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to pay penance. You don't have to do certain things in order to earn your way, or else grace would not be grace. It's undeserved merit. There's no amount of work, and we talked about this last Sunday, to think that there's something that you could do to make yourself right with God is absolutely preposterous. It's ridiculous. It means you don't have a good understanding of the depth of your rebellion or the distance between us and a holy God. And so Paul concludes in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Jesus' resurrection is not just a historical fact. We're united with him. As followers of Christ, we're united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And so on Easter Sunday, we sit here and we're like, this isn't just, yay, I'm going to wear some like brightly colored clothes and like take some pictures and, and Easter bunnies. so sad honestly because the depth of the significance of what this event means for us is of eternal merit and how it affects tomorrow how it affects our afternoon changes because sin has no dominion over us that's how god rescued 